it is good to be with you and uh, thank God for the cross. Thank God for the empty tomb that we just celebrated. Thank God that in spite of what's going on in this whole world, the Lord is on His throne. And He knows exactly what He's doing. He's not surprised by any of this. He's not wringing His hands wondering, what am I going to do? And all He asks of us is that we simply trust Him and believe Him in these latter days. And folks, we are in the latter days. However you want to define that and however you want to uh, define from the Word of God His coming again, He is coming again. And that is something that we don't, we don't shy away from. We look forward to. I look forward to the day when our faith is going to end in sight. And what I want to talk to you about this morning though, in light of that, the second coming of the Lord, uh, in my daily Bible reading, we just got through with First and Second Thessalonians. And of course, you know, in chapter 4 in First Thessalonians, you know those famous verses at the end of the chapter, 13 through 17, that talk about the second coming of the Lord, that the Lord is coming for us, that we're going to be caught up into the snatched up into the air to meet the Lord in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And Paul tells us, comfort one another with these words. But what I want to talk about is what happens in the first 12 verses preceding verse 13. I want us to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Because as important as it is for us to comfort ourselves with the fact that the Lord is not going to leave us down here, praise God, we need to learn, we need to be practicing what we're supposed to be about while we're waiting. Amen? Because Paul, said, Paul had run into a bunch of believers that evidently thought that all they had left to do was sit around and kind of Kind of like Star Trek. I don't know if we got any Trekkies here. I was not a huge Trekkie. My best friend, one of my best friends growing up was a Trekkie. And you remember old Scotty? Beam me up, Scotty. William Shatner, beam me up. There's a lot of Christians out there that are waiting for Jesus to beam them up. But they're not living right right now. They're not living expectantly. They're just sitting around. Paul describes some of them as busybodies. Have you ever heard gossip in the church? We don't have any gossip here. What are you talking about, Jeff? Every church has gossip because we're all human, amen? And it's just in our nature. If you want to hear gospel truth, come to the barber shop. There's not a word spoken in jest there. There's not a half-truth told. Every fish weighs 15 pounds, at least. Right? So we got a lot of stuff going around, but Paul wanted us to focus on the first part of that, of, of chapter 4, before he gives us that exciting news about the dead rising in Christ and all those wonderful things, how we are to, to live for him now. And I titled this message this morning, Holiness Unto the Lord. Holiness Unto the Lord. So let's pray together before we read and before we get started because we want, 
We want the Lord to clear the clutter out of our mind, out of our hearts. We want Him to take every care and every concern that we have and we want to cast it as far away from us as we can. And we want to focus on the encouragement that He gives us by His presence. So Lord God, we come to You this morning um, just amazed at who You are. God, and I pray that if someone came into this building this morning with really low expectations, that God, You would shake them to their very foundation and that You would let them know You are not a dead God. You are the living God. And we have, while we have trials and tribulations on every hand, every family of faith is suffering right now. I talk to parent after parent after parent of grown children whose children have been walking with you and are walking away, have turned their backs on the faith. But God, we know you're faithful. And we know that, again, this is not an exercise in futility. We are here for one purpose, and that is to be encouraged in the Lord and in one another. And God, to leave this place better off than when we came in. So Lord, by Your Holy Spirit, would You come and minister the the manifest, felt presence of Jesus Christ among His people. So Lord, we take this Word this morning We want to take it in, ingest it, and that it might bear fruit that would give you honor and glory for all of eternity. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's read our text together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says this, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, uh, I always get that word wrong, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness." He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who also has given us unto, of His Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren that ye increase more and more and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. So, Paul is, is writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica and there's some things going on there's some, uh, there's some false doctrines going around, but he wants, to, he wants to remember, 
He's looking back on, on the love that they have for one another, the, the spiritual growth of the church. He was there in Thessalonica for about three Sabbaths and planted the church there in Thessalonica, and it just took off and it's flourishing. But we also know that there's many enemies that stand against it, and there's lots of false teaching going on and all these things. And he's, he's there in the middle of this, this pagan society that's all, you know, and we're in, the, we're in the same mess today, amen? For all of the good that the church has done, for all of our, um, in America... We once lived in a culture of Christianity. Even though everyone was not a believer, even though there's never been a time in this nation where everyone went to church on Sunday and we were all there on Wednesday nights and we've all been good little Christian people, there was a respect for the church of the living God because we were the dominant culture at one time. That can no longer be said. We're living just like in the days that Paul lived in. They were in the minority, and we need to embrace that, folks. We are not in the majority. We are in the minority. But the minority with God is far better than being in the majority without God. Can I get a witness to that one? And so what he is addressing to us this morning is how the children of God, this is not a... a, a lesson on how to be saved. He's working at it from how we need to behave after we are saved. Amen? This is a behavioral thing because that little word ought to walk. Dead men can't walk. Dead men can't talk. Dead men can't do anything. And when I was still, you and I were still in our sins, we were dead to God. We were of no value whatsoever. So he's not talking to lost people. He's talking to saved people. And he says, you know, you can walk any way you want to, but you're going to suffer consequences if you walk outside of the will of God. Because if you're, we're really his children, he's going to discipline us in love, right? The worst thing in the world that could happen to you is if you were out of the will of God and God didn't discipline you, that meant He was never your father to start with. And you need to get saved. I don't chasten other people's children. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that, but I sure did my own. And my mama did too. She was very comfortable with it. We had a willow tree out in the front yard. Those little things would wrap around your leg about 50 million times. It seemed like them little willow limb. <laughs> Now, she wouldn't do that to my baby sister because she was born 20 years later than me, so it didn't happen nearly as often. Mother had softened by then, but see, I'm the oldest. I was her boy, and she did me right. Mama loved me. And when I did something wrong, when I did something that I didn't need to be doing, I was corrected. Now, she didn't correct other people's kids. That was the parent's responsibility. See, if you're one of the king's kids, the king is going to correct you when you need it. A lot of people have gotten away from that. We don't want discipline now. And it shows in our schools, it shows in our homes, it shows everywhere. But we need the discipline of the Lord, don't we? And so Paul is encouraging these people, this is how you ought to walk. 
Now you can choose to walk a different pathway, but you're going to suffer for it if you do. But if you walk in holiness unto God, I can promise you blessing. I can promise you a good path. I can promise you love, health, security. All of these things are going to be yours in abundance. And that doesn't mean health, wealth, and prosperity. But it means when I'm in His will, there's nothing that can stop me. There's no weapon formed against me that's going to prosper. There's nothing that the enemy can do to tear me down. So i got three little things I want to talk about in our walk. How we ought to walk. Number one, we ought to walk in holiness. That's what it says, describes here in the first eight verses that we just read. We need to walk in holiness. And the first reason that we ought to walk in holiness is because it's pleasing to God. Remember what he said in verse 1? That I, I exhort you by the Lord Jesus that has, you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. That you would abound more and more. When I love someone, I want to please them, right? It's just a natural byproduct. When my dad, when I was a young boy on the farm, I wanted to please my dad. I wanted to hear him say, I'm proud of you. I'm happy with you. You've done a good job. You've accomplished something. I wanted to hear those words out of his mouth. I wanted to please my mom. I wanted to please my school teachers at school sometimes when I wasn't <laughs> misbehaving, you know. But I wanted her to say, you did good with that. I'm proud of you. I wanted to see that A-plus on that paper that I took home until I got corrupted as a teenager and then I didn't care what was on it. And that was sad. But that was my fault. I love my wife. I want to please my wife. Not because I feel like I have to. I want to. I love her. And I want to do those things that please her. But ultimately, I want to please God even more. And if God is happy with me and Miss Lisa's happy with me, the rest of you are on your own. Right? Amen. Because you can't please everybody, can you? But if I please Him and I please my wife, I'm going to have a happy life. That's the way it works. So, we ought to walk in holiness because that is pleasing to God. But another thing, it is obedience to God. It is a shame and disgrace in our society. There are so many people walking around calling themselves by the name of Jesus. They call themselves a Christian, but they live a life of disobedience. And it is sad. Jesus said in the Gospels, He said in Luke and, and other, some of the other accounts, He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Can you imagine the King of glory who left His throne, who came to this sin-cursed earth, became one of us, was born into a poor carpenter's home, lived a life of poverty, walked the sin-cursed earth, never owning a business, never owning a home, never having anything that anyone says is successful on, on this earth, went to a cross, lived a sinless life, went to the cross and paid the sin debt for every person that has ever been 
from the beginning of time to the end of time. And yet, we say we love Him and we never obey what He says to do. And His commandments are not grievous. He said that. I'm not a bad master. I'm a good master. I love you. And if you obey my commands, they're going to bring great blessing into your life. But we act in, Ameri in the American church. We live our lives as if obedience is optional. And friends, I want to just make it clear this morning. Obedience is essential. Because if I'm not obedient, if, I'm, if I live a complete life of disobedience, that just says to me that I don't even know God. And we may hear those sad words on Judgment Day, depart from me, I never knew you. So obedience is important and holiness is, is a byproduct of obedience. It's just going to naturally come. But another thing is it glorifies God. Look at verse uh, 4 and 5. It says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. See, it glorifies God when you and I live a holy, separated life unto the Lord. Our, our culture says anything goes. You know, men with men, women with women... Uh, I, I can change my gender. I can do all these things. No, you can't. You're going to stand before God one day and give an account for who you are. And you cannot fundamentally change that. Only Jesus Christ can take a worm, a sinner, low and filthy, and change it and make it into something beautiful. And if I don't submit myself to that, it's never going to happen I didn't make this up God said it and it's true I've got to glorify God by the way I live my life I either glorify him my life is either a boast of who God is or I'm trampling and blaspheming his holy name but it can't be this funny little mixture of both We've got to glorify God in everything that we do. We want, we want Jesus to get all the glory for it. It honors Him when we live a life of holiness. But another thing, while we should walk in holiness, and it's a good thing, we escape the judgment of God. It says, verses 6-8, through eight, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. He also has forewarned you and testified, for God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despises, despises not man, but who? God Himself. You don't want to be a God despiser. He has given us His Holy Spirit, and we will face judgment one way or the other. You know, do you know, realize this? Even believers are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne judgment to be cast into hell, but we are going to stand before the Bema seat of Christ and give an account of our lives. Holiness matters. We need to walk in holiness. But secondly, we need to walk in harmony. We need to walk in harmony with one another. Look at verse 9. 
It says, but as touching brotherly love, you don't, you don't have any need that I write to you, for you or yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Notice how easily Paul makes the transition from holiness to, to love in one verse. It's, it's almost as if he's saying love comes from holiness and holiness comes from love. I believe you can't have one without the other. And you say, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I'll let you and God hash that out. But if I'm living a holy life, that says I love God and I love people. If I'm not living a holy life, I honestly don't, I can't stand here and truthfully say I love God and I love people. If I cheat on my wife, I don't, I'm saying I don't really love my wife, Right? If I'm cheating on God, can I honestly say I love God? And see, there's a lot of people living pseudo-lives. They give the appearance of one thing, but they're living a completely different life. I don't, I don't ever want that to happen in my life. And when there is an absence of holiness, there is an absence of love, and where there's an absence of love, there is no peace and there is no harmony. But where love is, you can have the most messed up home, you can, have, you can have dirty clothes piled up everywhere, you can have stuff, you can have, you can have all this stuff, but if you have love, I'll take that every day. Over the, the picture-perfect home, better, better homes and gardens, but they hate each other's guts in there. I've seen husbands and wives who quit loving each other. It's a terrible thing to watch them destroy one another. But you know what? It's a beautiful thing to look at a couple that's been married 65 years and they're still in love with each other. That's a, isn't that a blessing and a miracle? that you could love somebody that long, you know them and you still love them. There's a gentleman that comes to the barber shop. He's been married 75 years. And he still loves her. I'm going to live for all of eternity in one place or the other, and I love Jesus. And I know He loves me. And there's peace at night in my heart. When I, not that I'm perfect. I'm not. I mess up a lot. Much more than I should. But you know what? My conscience is clear when I lay my head down on my pillow at night. And if I die in my sleep, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. That's harmony. There's nothing between me and Miss Lisa if there is, she says it, and if there's something with me, I say it. And we get over it, and we move on. There's harmony in our home because of the love of God. It's got to be there. We walk in harmony. Without it, we don't have anything. We've got turmoil. We've got chaos. Our house is not the cleanest house on the, in the neighborhood, but we've got peace, harmony, and love. And I'll take that any day. Amen? Amen. 
Last thing, we need to walk in honesty. We need to walk in honesty. Not only do we need to walk in holiness, not only do we need to walk in harmony, we need to walk in honesty. Look at the last two verses we read, verse 11. It says, Study to be quiet, do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. I want to say this, honesty starts at home. Right? Don't lie to your parents. Parents, don't lie to your kids. Be honest with your children. You know, one of the most humbling things I ever had to learn as a parent was the, the need to apologize to my kids when I was wrong. Isn't that humbling? Because you don't want your kids to know that you're not perfect, right? I mean, I'm perfect. I'm your dad. I know everything. No, I don't. My kids teach me and I hopefully I teach my kids, right? They're not subhuman. They're not. They are God's creation as well. They're a gift to me and I'm, there. I'm God's gift to them. We need honesty back in our marriages, back in our homes, between parents and kids. We, we need to be able to be honest. It starts there. Character building starts at home. It doesn't start at church or at school. You're way behind if you send your kids to school without teaching them at home. But I, can I say that again? You need me to? Honesty starts at home. Don't send them off to school. Teachers don't have enough hours in the day to teach a kid that hadn't been taught anything. That foundation has to be laid at home. Honesty is always the best policy. But honest, honesty needs to spread to the workplace. That's where we spend the majority of our waking hours is at work. You realize that? My greatest mission field is that barbershop. There's no doubt about it. You say, well, you're, that ain't nothing. What's a barbershop? You're just cutting hair. I'm doing much more than cutting hair. I've led men to the Lord in that barbershop. We prayed for men that walked in whose wife just died the day before getting a haircut for her funeral. Everything is a ministry and my workplace is my greatest ministry. If I'm not honest with those people that I work with and that I work around and that I come in contact with on a daily basis, I've got no right to stand up here on Sunday and preach. I need to be honest with people that come into my workplace. It spreads there, but it doesn't end there. I need to be honest with the lost world around me. <clears throat> he says that you walk honestly toward them that are without, that you may lack nothing. And that doesn't simply mean, that does mean that takes in those that have physical needs that I can meet. It does. But it means much more than that. It means those that are without the family of God. That don't have the structure that I have in my life. That don't have a God that loves them. That know anything about God. 
they need to be able to know that I can look at that person and even though I may not like this Jesus right now that they stand for, that dude is honest as the day is long. And he would never lie to me about what's really most important in life. And you know what we do in American evangelism so many times? We mislead people into believing that the gospel is not the end goal. We do everything under the sun to keep them from knowing that's what we really want is their salvation. It's almost like we're apologizing for it. Jesus doesn't need us to apologize for Him. He needs us to proclaim Him and to make Him known and manifest among a lost world. I don't have to hide Jesus. I can hide Jesus. He's in here by His Holy Spirit and what's in there is going to come out. That's what God said. You want to know what kind of tree it is? Just shake it. Let the fruit fall out. You'll know whether you got figs or plums or whatever it is. I can't anymore hide him than anything. I, w- I wouldn't dare lie to a lost person and say, I'm not really trying to tell you about Jesus. Yes, I am. That's the first thing I want to tell you about. Because if you don't know Him, you stand condemned today. That's what the Scripture says. It says if they don't believe God, they are not going to be condemned one day. They are condemned. Right? So I need to be honest with myself and I need to be honest with them. Now, does that mean I come at them with a, ha- a sledgehammer and beat them over the head with the Bible? And No. But it means I love them enough to tell them the truth. You need a Savior. I needed a Savior. Every person that's ever been born needs a Savior. Amen? So walk in holiness. Walk in harmony. Get over your troubles quick. Don't go to bed mad. Amen? It ain't worth it. And walk in honesty that God might be glorified and that He might be pleased. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You so much for Your love. Thank You so much for who You are. Thank You, God, that we have a pattern to follow, that we have someone we can look to and... uh, not just walk in any manner in which we choose, but God, walk in accordance with Your commandments. Because Your commandments aren't a a big burden. They're not uh, keeping us from something good. They are the good. Your commandments bring life. They bring blessings. So Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to follow You. Help us uh, to lead others to the Savior. And God, help us to be honest with a lost and dying world. The clock is ticking. We don't have time to beat around the bush and, and appeal to, uh, to anything else other than their desperate need for a Savior. So God, we love You today. I pray that by Your Holy Spirit this morning, You would just have Your way in Your church among Your people. In the precious name of Jesus, Amen.